The Leap Foundation proudly presents the Meet the Mentor podcast with Dr. Bill Dorfman. Dr. Bill is a TV host, New York Times bestselling author, two-time Guinness World Book record holder, fitness guru, celebrity cosmetic dentist, and philanthropist who founded the Leap Foundation. Here's Dr. Bill. Hey, Dr. Bill here. So we're about to do a new Meet the Mentor with another metal man. You guys are familiar with my metal buddies. Um, But before we do, let me just kind of update you. Leap 2024 will be July 21st to the 27th at, not UCLA, (laughs) but USC this year. Um, It will be our inaugural year at USC. Apparently, UCLA is converting the dormitory area where we normally stay into an Olympic village for 2024. So we will not have access to that. And we're going to hop 11 miles across town. And I'm going to be a traitor to my alma mater. And we will be at USC. But we're super excited. We will be in the Bing Theater. It's gorgeous. Um, And it will look and feel like it did for the last 16 years, except with a Trojan twist to it. Uh, We also have a confirmation from Anthony Hopkins, who's coming. Who, by the way, has two amazing movies come out this year, which you're not going to want to miss. He plays Freud in the movie Sigmund Freud. And there's a movie called One Life based on an English gentleman who was knighted for saving 669 Jewish children who were on the way to concentration camps and was able to divert their train and get these kids into the UK and saved their lives. And from those 669 kids today, you have thousands and thousands of offsprings and they celebrated this man's life. And Anthony Hopkins plays him and has told me personally, said, doc, I honestly think this is the best work I've ever done. Um, And in light of everything going on with Israel and everything today, I'm sure this, this movie is going to get a lot of media attention. So look out for that. It's called one life. Uh, We also have Jason Alexander on board, Amy Adams, possibly unless she's filming something and a lot of great business leaders and uh, it should be an amazing leap. So Without further ado, I'd like to introduce you to my friend, uh, Doug Howarth. Um, he is, uh, life has been a remarkable journey marked by challenges and groundbreaking discoveries. From his fascination with business problems to a life-saving kidney transplant, his path led him to discover hypernomics. What's hypernomics? It's a new business theory that he's going to talk about, so you'll understand it better. Empowered by this revelation, Doug founded Hypernomics, Inc., where he developed innovative software to analyze markets in multiple dimensions, capturing the attention of industry giants like NASA and Lockheed. And in his upcoming book, Hypernomics, Using Hidden Dimensions to Solve Unseen Problems, Doug challenges conventional thinking, inspiring us to embrace unconventional ideas, and achieve extraordinary breakthroughs. Doug, welcome to Meet the Mentor. Dr. Bill, thank you so much for having me. You've got a fabulous show. I'm just, I'm humbled to be part of it. Thank you again for having me. Well, we're excited. I've never had anybody talk about hypernomics. So before we even do that, um, if you can kind of enlighten us and, and give us 
kind of a little bit about your background and how you got into this and what hypernomics is, that'd be awesome. Yeah, uh, it's it's got one of the most, one of the strangest origin stories, I think, ever that um, it, it came from a shopping trip with my wife. I uh, was watching my, I was, we needed to buy a washing machine of all things. And uh, we went up to this one big box store and, and my wife said, well, we, we need to have more capacity bigger drum than we have at home. So I, I thought about capacity versus price. And, and that she was kind of working on a what we call a two-dimensional problem right there. And she says, you know, we only have one gentle cycle at home. I'd like to have several more. And I thought about cycles versus price. I said, well, now she's working with three dimensions. And then I saw the next model up the line, same brand, just a little bit bigger, maybe bigger drum and more cycles. I said, well, what about this one? And she says, it's too expensive. We can't afford it. And then I realized that what our, our sale is going to do is we're going to be wherever we were, we were going to start to work out the demand for this product. And so we were part of a quantity term for the whole market and the price. So I realized that she was juggling capacity, cycles, price, in quantity, what she was doing is she was doing a four-dimensional problem in her head. And so I raced back to the house and started to figure out a way to plot in four dimensions and, and discovered that virtually every market works this way. And the, what it really, what it's doing then is instead of, everybody's heard of the law of supply and demand, which basically says that there'd be one equilibrium price where supply and demand equal each other with this new theory says is that it's only got 13 words to it. It says features, product features, features determine value, value drives price, price limits quantity sold, quantity sold is a feature. And so what it's doing is it's understanding that as people get more of what they want, those who can pay more for it, but as the prices go up, fewer people can buy it. So there's this tension between the value and demand at all times. And that's what this, this new business theory takes into account. It, it, it measures how people value things and how much money they have to spend for it. It's very interesting. And when you look at, you know, sales are, are really your endpoint, you know, because yes. you have your four dimensions and the, the real you know, determinant as to how successful your evaluation is, is really the end game, which is how many did they sell, right? Yes, yes, so exactly you need right. To be able to coordinate all that and make sense of it. Yeah, what's also very interesting about this, Dr. Bill, is it turns out that what people do in all markets is they self-aggregate, which is to say they form their own responses with respect to value. So, Basically, if you were to go out and electric, look at electric cars, people agree on what the, the value of horsepower is and the value of a seven-seater versus a, a four-seater versus a two-seater. People agree on the value, and they, they're also collectively limited by how much they can spend on the demand plane. So there, there forms these limits with respect to demand, and then there's a, an agreement about what things are worth. And so being able to find these points and, and then show how they work, lets you figure out if there's an open space in the market. It lets you figure out if something is overpriced or underpriced, and it lets you 
figure out how many you could possibly sell based on how the market's forming its barriers. And then, of course, a large component of sales is really the emotional appeal. Oh, you yeah. know, for instance, you know, if you told me I could go to Italy and pay a thousand bucks, I'd be great. But if I have to sleep like in a hostel, not great. Yes. You know, <laughs> right. and if you tell me I could pay ten thousand dollars, but I'm going to be staying in five star hotels with limo service and this and that, that sounds like a much better deal to me than the thousand bucks in a hostel. Sure. Yeah. And in fact, when you back to your point there, you're you're basically talking when you go from a hostel to a five star hotel, you're talking about a level of comfort. And so when I talk about the the, the generic term features, the comfort or how much space you have is a feature in a product. So you know if you fly commercial and, and you're in a in you know back in the uh economy section, you've got a very small seat and then you move to premium economy you've got more space then you move to business class you got more space still and then you can move to some other high-end airlines like emirates and get a get yourself a suite and that what's what you're getting there back to the hostel and hotel things you're getting progressively more and more room and that's a comfort feature that you're willing to pay for if you can afford it and that's uh, kind of what you're getting at there so yes that that's how it works so on a day-to-day basis, I, I gather from your website, you really work as a consultant for companies, right? Yeah, we have. And what we're going to do now is uh, we're putting together classes to teach our software that goes along with the book that's coming out in January. So we're, we're, we're going to have a little bit of a shift. And we've also put up a fund, internal fund. It's not open for the public, but we've created a fund that took S&P 500 stocks from over three and a half years ago. And, and uh, over the course of three and a half years, we've done roughly double what the S&P 500 has done over that period of time. And 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 the, the secret to success there is basically figuring out how to maximize growth in this multidimensional system. Yeah. 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 That's what it is. And when it comes to the market, it's it's a function of trying to figure out the, the 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 stocks that are undervalued. I don't know if did you happen to see Moneyball, Doctor Bill, or hear, read the book? No, I didn't. Well, in Moneyball, there's famously some of your listeners may have heard it. There's a there's a line that goes. Uh, people think that you know they want to buy managers think they want to buy players, but what you really want to buy is wins. In order to buy wins, you have to buy people to get on base. And so they reduced everything down to people getting on base and they figured out the people that were undervalued for that because maybe they didn't, you know, look right, or they were, they, they were overweight or they're, you know, near the end of their career, but they got on the base more, more often than their salary dictated. So their, their salary was below what they should have gotten. And so what we try to do is the same kind of principle for stocks. So some stocks will get overlooked because they've been around for, say, 80 or 100 years in the S&P 500, and they may not be very glamorous. And so people will start to move away from these stocks and go to the ones that have a little bit more you know, pizzazz to them. But when the, the stock becomes undervalued, that means that underlying that stock is are some pretty good returns for potential returns for investors, things like re- return on assets, book value, and things like that, that ought to push the stock up mm. over time. And so what we try to do is we look for stocks that are depressed and then buy those things. 
You know what I think would be maybe a fun exercise? Let's take one of your, from your consulting, you know, realm, let's take one of your greatest successes where, you know, you worked with a company and helped them actually maximize their potential in these different dimensions and, you know, kind of without actually naming the company, unless you're allowed to. Sure. No, I, I can give you a very simple example. The, we have our restaurant down the street that we frequent all the time. Mm -hmm. And so when COVID hit, people here in California, when COVID hit in early 2020, restaurants were forced to go outdoors. And some restaurants had big patios and some of them had small ones, but everybody tried to push their business outdoors and, and make a go of it. And so we went to our local restaurant and it was still very popular during COVID. In fact, the line was going out the door. And I took a look at the seating arrangement for this restaurant and I, we pulled aside the manager. We know her pretty well. We said, hey, Kayla, would you like to make more money? She says, well, of course, Doug, I'd love to make more money. She said, what do you, what do you have in mind? I said, well, what you've got here is you've got these three tables of six in your patio, and you've got three tables of four and only a couple of tables of two. Most of the people that come into your restaurant come in groups of two, and there's occasionally a lot of people come in come in as a single. You need to replace some of the big tables with several smaller two-seat tables, and your revenue will go up. And, and they did that, and the revenue shot up. And the reason that did that is, I mean, I had observed this particular restaurant having this tendency, it turns out that if you study restaurants in the United States, there's 2.25 times as many parties of two going to restaurants as there are parties of four. Now, your results, as they say, may vary depending on what kind of restaurant you are. But there's more chance that you're going to get a party of two than there is a party of four. And so when, when they rearranged the restaurant that way, and the seating, basically, the number of seats stayed about the same, the throughput went up and their revenues shot up 25% in two months. So that's nice. a simple example of that. Yeah. Um, we have uh, another example for uh, companies that are going to have to go nameless, but we, we worked out the, the value of safety in aircraft. Interestingly, if you fly airliners, you, you might notice that, you know, if you fly an airliner, you've probably flown on a, at an Airbus airliner or, or a Boeing airliner, if you float commercial anywhere, or even if you fly private, some of those people, you know, use Airbus and Boeing products. But what you don't see a lot of is Tupolev. Uh, Tupolev is a Russian aircraft manufacturer. And they've got a very safe plane, and it goes, their, their standard TU-204 goes a little bit faster than the Boeing 737 uh, 800, I think it is. Goes a little bit faster than that. Carries a few more people. It's got longer range, but yet it sells for only about eighty percent as much as the Boeing plane list price. And and Boeing has sold eight thousand of their seven thirty sevens of this model, and and Tupolev's only sold seventy. Well, why is that? Well, it it turns out that the Boeing plane is ten to twenty times safer than this already safe. Russian plane. So back to your other point about, you know, wanting to have comfort. Well, the other thing people want to have is safety. And so we proved to this company that if you could improve safety by, say, 10x, which is to say you crash instead of crashing, losing a hull, well, that's what they call it, instead of losing a plane every once every million hours, you lost a hull once every 10 million hours. 
If you can improve the safety by 10x, the, the value of the plane goes up by 50%. And so we, we did that. Sense to me. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, that was that was a pretty interesting insight that we came up with. So So how did you get into this whole thing? I mean, barring the uh the the washing machine <laughs> experience. I mean, you had to have been, you know, in this world way before that. Yeah, yeah. I, I kept wondering why certain projects, business projects failed. I mean, I'd see something that looked like a spectacularly good idea. I say, well, why did that project fail? I mean, we came out of aerospace that our company did. And so it started with aerospace. And I started to say, well, why would something like the Concorde, which was the world's first supersonic transport, why did the Concorde fail economically? They wanted to build 300 and they built 20. And just recently, I called out a company in uh, Nevada, they were going to build a supersonic business jet. And they wanted to build 300 to 500. They wanted to build 310 years. And I said, I did a little bit of research, and I figured out that they weren't going to make it. In fact, they had about a 2% chance of making it. So I called them out, and they wrote me, and they sent me a nasty note on LinkedIn. And I said, (laughs) they told me I got a big order. And I said, well, good for you, but you're still not going to make your, your target. And then six months later, they crashed. Well, I wanted to understand why people kept crashing these markets. And it turns out that, that, that there, are, there are boundaries to the market. There are limits to how much people can, can buy. And so was it, finding was, this, it, was it the cost that you think was the limiting factor for them? No, it was that there weren't there. It turned out we have a little phrase in our company that two out of three is bad. So you remember Meatloaf back in the 70s? He had a song, two out of three ain't bad. Yeah. Well, in, in in economics, you can get the cost right, which is good. And you can get the price right, which is good. So this this outfit up north had the, and so did the Concord. They had the cost was okay. The price was okay. But then they came to working out the demand, and they didn't understand the demand. And so the, they supposed that they were going to sell so many by basically polling people. They said they would go out and ask clients, if we built this plane, would you buy it? And what they do is they they typically go off to say a thousand people, and and maybe five hundred say they're going to buy it, or and then they'll say, well, we'll discount that by twenty percent. So we'll say that say four hundred going to buy this plane. Ah, we'll run it down to three hundred in a decade, and then they figure that's a pretty good estimate. But it turns out that you can actually see what people buy and and see if there's a, a boundary to that. And it turns out that there is a boundary. There's a boundary on virtually every market that's mature. Every mature market forms a boundary. If you go out and just took the S&P 500 every day and just plotted the the quantity of stocks in the, in the, in the, uh, in for each of these uh, 500 stocks and the number of shares they have out and they plotted their price and you just put a chart up, you'd see that there's a there's a boundary to it. There's an upper there's an upper limit to that market every every day of the year, and you you need be you need to be able to figure that out to be able to do any kind of market analysis in virtually every field. And that's what hypernomics reveals is the, how to do that. So I told you I would ask you this if I'm a student watching this and I really want to get involved in your industry what would be kind of a blueprint for entree in? Well, if you wanted to be in our industry specifically or any yeah. industry. No, no, well, in yours. My, ours, well, there's, 
it's like lead into my book. My book's coming out January 29th. And uh, again, it's entitled Hypernomics, Using Hidden Dimensions to Solve Unseen Problems. It's available in fine bookstores then, and it's online right now at Amazon and Walmart and uh, Wiley's site. And I-, I would study this book. This book shows a bunch of phenomena that hadn't been investigated, I would argue, properly up until right about now. I when we when I first came up with this idea, you know, and then we formed a company around it. We went off to try to get some software built around it, which is, by the way, this this patent plaque over my shoulder is for our the world's first 4D software. And the the patents, in addition to giving us intellectual protection, actually showed that nobody had ever thought of just re rearranging the the uh, economic phenomena that are out there and trying to figure out how they relate to one another. And so this book shows you how economic phenomena had been portrayed and then it shows you what's really going on. So it'll give you the story that's been told to you before. They'll tell you about the law of supply and demand. And then I'll explain to you why that doesn't work. So the law of supply and demand suggests that there's one single price in the market. And typically in a book, they'll show you some hypothetical examples about that and then they'll cite that as evidence well if you go out and look at iron ore and you can look at iron mines and as iron mines get easier and easier to work or harder and harder to work the prices go up and so at any point in time there's they have an upward sloping supply curve is what they would call it and so there might be only be one price for iron ore but iron goes into cars and i think we all know that there's dozens and dozens of car models out there right and so that that it, it just says that what works for a commodity a single feature commodity doesn't work for products that are more complex than that and so it shows you how to deal with more complex products and it walks you through the book starts out talking about Hansel and Gretel and works you up to being able to solve very complicated problems I end. love it that's awesome if a student wanted to get in touch with you directly what's the best way to do that yeah, I'll take emails at my email address, which is dhoworth, that's D-H-O-W-A-R-T-H, at hypernomics.com, that's H-Y-P-E-R-N-O-M-I-C-S.com. Awesome. Write me, write me directly and I'll answer. Awesome. And we'll put that in the show notes. And also on social media, um, you are at Hypernomics Inc. and also at Doug. Howarth, H-O-W-A-R-T-H, correct? Yeah, yeah. And we, we're, so we're on LinkedIn. We're doing a little bit of Instagram and X right now, but we're mostly doing posts on LinkedIn. And then we, uh, I have a, uh, also have my personal webpage, DougHoworth.com. And we, we put up the uh, blogs and things like that up there. And it's got all my, if you go to the website, it's got all the papers that I've written. Uh, there's 13 peer-reviewed papers there that- Perfect. Uh, people can cite and things like that. All right. Well, I think that's fascinating and I wish you the most success with your book. And I appreciate you taking the time for Meet the Mentor. And I hope if we ever go back to Metal Live, I'll see you in person. Yeah, I'd love to. I'd love to be able to get back to live, Dr. Bill. I really appreciate that. All right. Well, thank you, Doug. All right, Dr. Dr. Bill. Bill. Over and out. To learn more about the Leap Foundation, Go to LeapFoundation.com or find us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash LeapFoundation or on Instagram at LeapFoundation. 
Listen to the Meet the Mentor podcast with Dr. Bill Dorfman on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.